the movies. They're the most wonderful thing on earth. They help us share our dreams. Each one tells a story and captures a time and a place in our lives. We make them to hold on to some things and others we make to let go. Movies let us change the world by choosing which parts of it are important. These moving memories we give to others, it lets them carry us with them. And as we get older, these movies will always be there. <laughs> movies are dreams! Oh. Hi, welcome to Bomb Squad Movie Night, episode 104. Wow. I am your host and master of ceremony, Tanner Richard Kraft, and with me I have... My Hebrew name is Chaim Fievel, apparently. <laughs> Tim M. Sullivan. Tell me you want to be a podcast recorder. <laughs> Why? This business. It'll tear you apart. So what do you know about art, kid? Where's the goddamn horizon? Um, it's, it's there. Where? At the top of the painting. Hi, I'm Joseph Henry Frenick. <laughs> yeah, all right. And we have a special guest becoming only the second member of the four-timers club. Hi, I'm Andrew Ambrose Lee. He doesn't hate us yet. Yes. Andrew, plug shit. Uh, yeah, so like I'm the host of uh, I've Been Meaning to Listen to That, a podcast where we take albums we've been meaning to listen to and use it as a conduit to learn about each other and our guests. And a new season coming late March or early April. So that's pretty cool. Check it out. Joe and I have been on it before. We have, yes. Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. But we're not talking about the life and times of Chris Gaines. We're talking about the life and times of Steven Spielberg. <gasps> or Sammy Fableman in his newest film, <laughs> The Fablemans. He finally did it. He finally made a movie about his parents' divorce, something he's never done before. <laughs> but before we get into our thoughts on the movie overall, let's just, uh, for our warm-up question, what's your favorite Steven Spielberg movie? Austin, I want to start with you. Uh, for me, no contest. It's Minority Report. John, don't run. Everybody runs, Fletch. You know we'll catch you. Minority Report was his first film that I saw at an old enough age that I could actually appreciate it. Like, I saw E.T. and Raiders as a kid, but they mostly just freaked me out. But in my early teens, I put Minority Report on, and the full scope of what a Spielberg movie is really hit me. It was all about timing, like like how a teenager might like train spotting, but not understand train spotting too at all. Minority Report changed the way I felt about filmmaking at that early age. Suddenly, I wanted to learn about special effects, like how to do that early 2000s kind of CGI where the texturing and geometry is not flashy, but stuff like global illumination and motion blur and fall off makes it look real. I spent hours looking at how to like bleach bypass my shitty DV tape footage, and I used that look for my first short film, Page 12. 
Everything about Minority Report was so exciting, and I spent years trying to understand how they achieved those shots technically. Before I pass it off, though, I personally feel that Schindler's List is Spielberg's most important, impressive film by a long shot, but it's more like a service that he did for mankind than something that I enjoy revisiting ever. He went through hell to make that thing, so it deserves a shout-out in conversations about his whole body of work. But yeah, mm -hmm. in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Back to you, Tanner. Great, great answer. Minority Report, the second best Steven Spielberg movie to come out in 2002. Damn! Um, <laughs> Two mice fell in a bucket of cream, Frank. Which one am I? Uh, John oh, minor Ford. Minority Report here. Sorry. <laughs> Is that what the movie's about? Like, I don't know. Like, John Ford Vrenick. I took the, the patch off. I'm no longer John oh, Ford. Oh, I'm sorry. Jo Joseph <laughs> Ford. I mean, Joe Vrenick, go. All right, my actual answer to this particular question. It is a very tough one because I always go between three different answers, but for this one, I'm just going to say fuck it, and I'm going to go with E.T., the extraterrestrial, oh, as my favorite Steven Spielberg movie. At least it used to be. It's now the movie that we're talking about, but I actually have to pick a different fucking answer. Fair enough. But E.T., wonderful sci-fi film about a boy and his dog, or in this case, alien. Great special effects. John Williams' best fucking score, in my opinion. I think the score for E.T. is a masterpiece. It might honestly be the best score ever composed for a movie, in my opinion. Hold your fire! Still got a gun. Just do as I tell you. Hold your fire! No, this is the police. Great movie, uh, and man, oh man, if uh, you have to say goodbye to a pet, it's a really good movie to just get some release out of. Get some release? What the fuck are to you cry doing? Cry your eyes e. out! <laughs> E.T.'s got loves. Like, like. Oh Tim, what's your favorite Steven Spielberg movie? Steven Spielberg is one of those directors who is just like this all-encompassing master of the craft to the point that like, you say the words like, greatest directors of all time, like Spielberg is one of the top ones that comes to your head, even if maybe it's not your favorite director. Weirdly, I feel like I struggle with like, what's your favorite Spielberg movie, because his movies are great, but they maybe don't necessarily click with me quite as much as other movies do, but uh, I'm going with Jaws for this one. Mm. Just an absolute masterclass of suspense building. No movie has ever made anybody afraid of anything quite like this movie made people afraid of water in the 70s. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Inside the Steven Spielberg's $150 million Seven Seas Yacht. It's one of the most how the fuck was this ever PG movies ever made. Just an insane amount of carnage and literal nudity in the first scene. It's one of those movies that like I don't think they could make it today quite like they made it in 1975. And, like, I'm not usually one who's partial for, like, animal-based horror, but, like, this one, absolutely. Just an incredible movie, and uh, watching it makes me smile, you son of a bitch. Back to you, Tanner. <laughs> the shark was nude, by the way, also. Yeah, the shark was nude. Scandalous. All right, Andrew, what's your favorite Steven Spielberg movie? My general history with Spielberg is, like, I haven't, like, seen all his movies. I love Indiana Jones, of course, the first one. I just remember seeing that for the first time and just being so blown away. And just, like, seeing, like, the peak of what 
action adventure can do at such an early age really set my expectations really high. But I think recently, my favorite Spielberg movie like changes like every like other week or something like that. So like right now though, I really really love West Side Story. I think that is just so good. I love late period Spielberg. I like that nowadays he's just like at the top of his game. He's like he doesn't give a fuck. How many bullets are left? A lot of directors they like fall off when they get older and stuff like that, but Spielberg's just as good as ever. And I just the thing I liked about that one is like he's just showing off. Every image is gorgeous. His ability to collaborate with so many great people, like the Kaminsky cinematography and the choreography, like the improvements on the Jerome Robbins version and stuff like that. He's just like a master. I, I he's like he's the goat. So yeah, I love that movie. My favorite Steven Spielberg movie. This is a very tough question for me because I've seen more Steven Spielberg movies than I've seen movies by any other director. Like, to put it in perspective, I've seen 15 movies by three different directors. Ron Howard, Martin Scorsese, and Robert Zemeckis. I've seen 15 of those directors' movies. I've seen 30 of Steven Spielberg's movies. Literally twice as much. Out of those 30 movies, I've given 17 of them five stars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of different answers I could go with this. I could go with my favorite Indiana Jones movie, The Last Crusade. I could go with some of his more underrated movies, in my opinion, like War Horse or Ready Player One. I could go with the classic answers that everyone always gives. Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List, Minority Report, Jurassic Park. I could go for something that I don't think gets nearly enough credit in The Adventures of Tintin. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I could so say good. what my answer was a few months ago. Catch me if you can. However, my favorite Steven Spielberg movie as of now is The Fablemans. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good way to transition into the actual discussion. We're going to use Daddy's camera to film it. Only crash the train once, okay? I had to crash it a whole lot of times, but the train never got hurt. <laughs> but I'm going to make you uh, efforts wait to hear why I think that. Uh, but instead, when it comes to our general thoughts on the Fablemans, we're going to start with Mr. Tim M. Sullivan! Um, yeah. Don't yeah. fuck this up, kid. Where's the horizon? It's <laughs> uh, right there. Um, it's, a, it's a movie that I really enjoyed. I didn't get the chance to revisit it for the recording, but I remember it well enough from my screening. I think I really relate to the Spielberg insert character uh, in the way of just like seeing him at this young age developing his love for filmmaking because like I remember when I was in like middle school and I like first picked up my parents little video 8 camcorder and made dumb little movies with my friends and that kind of sent me on the trajectory to where I am now uh, making movies with my friends and making movies with uh, clients and stuff like that. It's just kind of great to see this movie that's sort of... I kind of went into it thinking that it was going to be like this cinema circle jerk thing and I don't think it's quite that. Like it celebrates a love for like filmmaking as a medium but I think it's more focused focused on like the family aspects which I thought was really nice it was really implemented well like seeing those clips where he's like 
watching his mom with Seth Rogen in the edit, like, that's <sighs> such a heartbreaking moment where, like, he's seeing this horrible thing and this thing that he loves. This might be a new contender for my favorite, like what Tanner was saying, just because, like, it it's something that relates to me in the way of just, like, being sort of a celebration of filmmaking. We, we opted not to do an episode on Babylon just because of not being able to stream it, but I do think that this is, like, a good companion piece where, like, this is sort of showing the beginnings of filmmaking and then Babylon sort of shows what happens after film school in a very yeah. exaggerated, gross way. Action. Well, hello, college. Who sneezed? Who the fuck sneezed? I think they do kind of work as sort of interesting companion pieces to one another. But yeah, overall, it's a really good movie. It may still be in theaters when this drops, so check it out if you can. Back to you, Taylor. Guarantee it's going to be in theaters because a lot of theaters are doing their check out the Best Picture nominees thing right now. I think because, like, film is kind of a new medium in the grand scheme of history. Like, it's a little over 100 years old, but it's old enough where there's enough, like, history to, like, be Mm -hmm. reverential to it. So I think now we're living in this love letter to movies era of movies, basically. But I think this one is, like, the least circle jerky of all those. Like, of, like, these types of movies. And, like, it's, like, rarely solipsistic. It's really reflective on the more personal elements as you were saying so i think it's awesome right. the movies yeah you're right andrew we're finally reaching the era where every director all at once said sure i'll take a crack at cinema paradiso yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's see what happens all right joe you i think are on the most similar wavelength of demon this movie this is both of our second favorite movies of the year so go ahead let her rip you are correct because uh yeah it's my second favorite movie of the year the only thing that i would put above this is uh we're all going to the world's fair that's my favorite movie of last year however the three things that those movies have in common are they reminded me why i wanted to make movies in the first place they made me want to pick up a camera and make a movie right now and they reminded me why I should never give up on making movies. This fucking movie hit me on such an emotional fucking core. Honestly, right from the very fucking beginning, it very much invoked memories of, like, one very specific memory. I'm going to share a little story from my childhood. Oh, Lord, he's about to get personal. <laughs> Let's go. So, uh, in the movie, young Sammy Fableman goes to see it's uh, the greatest show on Earth, right? And he's both terrified and absolutely mesmerized by the uh, train wreck that happens on on the screen. And my mom likes to tell the story about how when I was maybe five years old, she took me to go see Ron Howard's movie, How the Grinch Stole Christmas in theaters, and how during specific sections of the film, I would be looking back away from the screen and over at the projector. And in her mind, she thought that this was like me being curious as to like how the movie is getting onto the screen. Like I'm like, discovering something big and something magical. Uh, in actuality, the, the twist of this is, I was fucking terrified of Jim Carrey. You know, exactly that fucking scene. That yeah. genuinely scared the shit out of me as a child. That, like, I saw the trailer for it, I didn't want to fucking see it. But we're not talking about the Grinch, we're talking about the Fablemans. But... See, that's where the Jim Carrey Grinch makes me horny. I, I don't know what was wrong with you, man. <laughs> Tanner, Tanner played the Game Boy game. Let me 
Animaniac decided In the Hall of the Mountain King was an appropriate song for the Grinch trailer? It, immediately, right out of the gate, it evoked memories of that and just being a child and just kind of learning what movies are and just kind of how they're made and wanting to delve my toes into it. It also evokes some really sad memories because I'm also a child of divorce. It kind of helped shape the person who I'd become later on in life, kind of like Sammy Fableman, or in this case, Steven Spielberg. Finally, I can use Double Run Film. You know that's six minutes without having How to change the reel. How much did you spend to rent this camera? I think you have something to say to me, Sammy. And if I'm right about that, then get it off your chest and say it to my face. I started therapy. The, the movie itself, though, is just fucking incredible. It's Spielberg pulling out all of his neat little tricks and honestly kind of holding back on the Spielberg schmaltz, surprisingly. It's a lot more quirky and personal, this one is, because you'd think he'd have warm, fond memories of this, but, like, no. There, there's a moment where it gets sad and kind of dark. <laughs> Michelle Williams has, like, really bizarre quirks that, like, in a normal Spielberg movie, they just wouldn't be in there. This is, like, something a little bit more autobiographical graphical. The, the circle jerk aspect of it that I've heard people complain about is people have said that this movie is basically Spielberg's way of saying I was able to make great movies just right out of the womb. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? That's fair. However, it's Steven fucking Spielberg. He has earned the right to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think if anyone's earned the right to say I'm cinema god, it's him. Yeah. Um, and especially this late in his career where he's made so many great movies. It'd be one thing if he made like five movies and did this. If you're able to remake West Side Story and make it better, you get to do whatever the fuck you want after that. Exactly. Uh, overall, yeah, I love the movie. I'll talk more about it in general discussion, but I should let somebody else talk. Back to you, Tanner. Austin, <laughs> what are your thoughts on the Fablemans? I saw the 2017 documentary Spielberg that uh, Susan Lacey put together. There's this line about an hour and 54 minutes into the movie where Spielberg says, I've avoided therapy because movies are my therapy. That's the first thing that really struck me about this film is that scene where the mom is in bed thinking about why Sammy wants to crash his toy trains and film it. He's trying to get some kind of control over it. And that's such a good origin story for a filmmaker. Somebody who wants to, like, play God and conduct situations that scare the shit out of them in real life. That line makes Schindler's List especially a lot heavier to think about. Uh, another thing that this film nails, and uh, this is pertinent to say with so many crypto-fascists trying to, like, resurrect conspiracies about Jews secretly controlling the world, Sammy becomes a filmmaker almost as an act of social self-preservation at one point. Like, if you're ever wondering why Jews Jewish people sort of gravitate towards positions of authority or career paths that make people treat you with respect. It's because the default way people treat Jewish people, or for at least a long time it was this way, is with hostility. That scene yeah. where Sammy's classmate Chad is like picking on him and telling him to apologize for murdering Jesus. You would not believe how many kids pulled that shit around me in school after the passion came out. So yeah, if the phenomenon of many Jews being in entertainment confuses you, it's because Jews figured out after the 40s that they kind of got to climb high as a sort of protection against the endless deluge of shitty bigots in America. 
A uh, few lightning round thoughts before I say movie good and pass the torch. <laughs> the difference between how that line, what was your favorite part, appeared in the trailers versus the context in the movie was so fucking funny. Like, in the trailers, the context seemed to be like, look at your beautiful life making movies. What was your favorite part, Sammy? Whereas in the film, the kid's completely traumatized by his first trip to the movies because there's a colossal train crash and his mom's just like, hey, kiddo, did you like the snuff film? And fucking <laughs> <laughs> movies are dreams, darling, that you never forget. What was your favorite part? Two parallels to other 2022 movies. There's Burt Bacharach's Walk On By, which also appeared in Nope, good song. And weirder still, there's a mom loading her kids into a vintage car and driving straight towards a natural disaster. The one thing this movie has in common with the Netflix film Blonde. Oh, oh no! no! <laughs> Internally, I kept calling the camping trip footage of Sammy's mom cheating the divorced kids a pruder film. Uh, it's weird seeing <laughs> Seth Rogen being depicted as the inferior computer nerd, because I still picture him as Steve Wozniak thanks to that Danny Boyle Steve Jobs movie. What do you do? Acknowledge the Apple II team! It's not binary! He <laughs> just like takes Steve and Sammy Fableman aside and says, Acknowledge the Apple II team! <laughs> So, uh, listen, I want to ask you a favor. Yeah. Can you acknowledge the Apple II team in your remarks? No! Oh! The, the girl with the religion kink. Funniest shit I've ever seen. The paper plates and schoolyard beatdowns almost made me forget that this character grows up to own a 282-foot super yacht. And uh, the scene of Paul Dano describing how he punched Uncle Benny in a dream while they're driving out to California really made me think of that new rock star's thumbnail meme that goes around with Paul Dano that says, does he know? Well, that's what I asked myself watching that scene. I thought to myself, does he know? Lightning round over. In closing, <laughs> The Fablemans is a really well-made portrait of growing up with analog filmmaking and a teenager dealing with a suburban family that's sort of disintegrating. It's nowhere near my favorite Spielberg film, but it's a missing piece of the puzzle of his early life that no documentary could do justice. I hope yeah. this helped him process the grief of losing his parents recently, and I'm very glad him and his sisters felt brave enough to share this with us. This film has my deepest respect, just like the man it's about. Oh, so you're saying is you don't like the movie, Austin, is what I heard. What are you, anti-Semitic? He hates his own people. <laughs> well, Austin, why don't you apologize for killing Spielberg? <laughs> Fucking Spielberg tied to the cross. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what I want for Hanukkah. What? Christmas lights. <laughs> and by the way, you look at this kid. His parents are a big bowl of Jewish. He's screaming Jew. <laughs> So to change the topic to like, and to like bounce off of like Austin's thing really quickly like the idea that like he was so scared of the movie and that's why he makes movies and like that's why he watched the tr train crash over and over it's also a great metaphor for childhood when you're a child you have no control you're at the mercy of your parents you're at the mercy of them bickering or like their like dysfunction and stuff like that you don't have a choice where you move it depends on where you, the dad gets a job and stuff like that and then parallel the mom like uh, Mitch like Michelle Williams character also has very little autonomy within that marriage and stuff like that and like the end of the movie is like her finally like flying away and doing something selfish for her self-preservation and stuff like that it's awesome uh, Andrew what did you think of the movie by the way you can't save them anymore because they're all dead
How far are you going to let them gaze into the future? There's a trick in this movie that it pulls a few times. There's so many scenes of Sammy Fableman screening his movie where everyone in the audience watching the movie has a specific emotional reaction. And then Sammy is watching the audience react to his movie that he made. He's happy that they're laughing or like he's like he's looking at like uh, his mom and Benny kind of like next to each other and like being a little upset. But also like he doesn't quite understand his power, like the impact his filmmaking has on other people. But in the meantime, we know in the back of our heads that Spielberg is behind the scenes directing the movie watching Sammy react to the audience react to the movie that Sammy made knowing that we in the audience are watching Sammy react to the audience react to the movie that Sammy made so it's like this really cool hall of mirrors trick basically but like the difference between Sammy and Spielberg is that Spielberg he knows how good he is at this he is self-actualized he has achieved the dream and it's basically a movie about a kid who's like learning his craft from the perspective of a man who has mastered his craft. And he's like a goddamn master. He's like, it's the origin story where he's like molded by the bittersweet joie de vivre of his mother and the engineering genius of his father, where it's like science and magic rolled into one, where we suspend our disbelief enough to be invested in Sammy Fableman while our analytical brain understands and is delighted by the fact that Spielberg like playing us like a fiddle, basically. It's such a cool trick. It's like Chris Angel like walking on water and then dropping his shoes in the pool to prove that he's not walking on glass. It's just like, how the fuck did he, I know he's, he, I know he's not a demon man, but like, how the fuck did he do that? And stuff like that. <laughs> it's great autofiction. It's great poyamanon. Uh, it's not hyper indulgent. And if it's indulgent, it's earned. And through this process, we hopefully become more empathetic. Uh, we learn something about about the world, about other people, and about ourselves. And that's the magic of movie, and that's the magic of Spielberg. So that's my take. Uh, <laughs> great, great fucking movie. It is my favorite of last year, I think, the 2022. Um, it might be my top five Spielbergs ever, but I also love that it's a little more gentle with enough Spielberg zazz. He can't help himself. He doesn't know how to, like... Even Schindler's List is kind... There's still... It's very entertaining. It's very stirring and stuff like that. So it's fantastic. Uh, back to you, Tanner. Steven doesn't know how to make a film that doesn't entertain the shit out of people. It reminds me how there's some kind of like writer's roundtable clip from a few years ago in Austin. I'll send you this where some director goes off about how Schindler's List is a bad movie because the Holocaust shouldn't be entertaining. I understood where he was coming from. I think it's valid, the funniest part yeah. of that clip is uh, Judd Apatow acting like this is the dumbest fucking thing he's ever heard in his life in the immediate next <laughs> shot. Or John Krasinski in the same scene being like, <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> Just Jim facing the camera. Anyway, uh, my thoughts on the Fablemans. My time to shine. Hello. Holy shit! When I saw the trailer for this movie, something about it seemed special. I was excited. Oh my about god! It. Yeah. Not necessarily because of the reasons why I wind up loving the movie, but when I learned into the movie, there was this line. I do respect them. I love them. I know you do, but you can't just love something. You also have to take care of it, right? That's more important than your hobby. Dad, can you stop calling it a hobby? And I don't know, something about that cut me deep. 
And then I wound up seeing the movie, and it's about so much... It's more of a coming-of-age movie than the love letter to cinema. I get why people want to call it a love letter to cinema. I don't really see that, personally. That feels like such a, like an accidental afterthought in the film because of the subject matter. To me, it's a straight-up coming-of-age movie about a kid that makes movies. And almost everyone here, we're all filmmakers. Sorry, Andrew, I don't know if you are or not. Last I checked, you're a podcaster, right? Yeah. The filmmaker of the brain, man. You can call it a hobby. It's, I'm, I'm dumb. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's more important than your hobby. Dad, can you stop calling it a hobby? No! Gabrielle LaBelle's uh, leading performance here is so incredible. Apparently, much like uh, Maria for uh, West Side Story, thousands of actors auditioned to play this character. And you can tell because Gabrielle LaBelle just embodies the character perfectly. He was my favorite leading man performance in a movie this year. I thought he was uh, incredible. And that's not to say the rest of the cast isn't stellar. Paul Dano, this is maybe my favorite performance of his career. Michelle Williams, this is one of the best performances of her career, I think. Movie star. Movie um, star. It's a supporting so performance, by the way. Yeah. Uh, the Academy, you got that one wrong. I'm sorry. This is Steven Spielberg's first time writing a movie since AI. Uh, let me tell you, I think he wrote a bit of a better movie than he did with AI, personally. Mm. He was like, hey, I wrote a movie. Oh sorry. my god. <laughs> I wrote a movie with Tony Kushner. That, that's what Sammy Fableman does at the end of the movie. Instead of walking away, he turns to the camera and says, I wrote a movie with Tony Kushner. Not clickbait. Gone sexual. <laughs> Speaking of gone sexual, I thought in that scene where the bully confronts him, they were gonna kiss. Like, the whole time. There was sexual tension in the scene, I swear to God. Judd Hirsch is great in his one-scene role. David Lynch as John Ford. Yeah, I remember we heard rumors about that in May, and I went, oh, yeah. please, please be true, and it was, and I loved it. When he came into the scene, there's like two minutes before he says a word, and as soon as he speaks, I'm like, oh my God, that's David Lynch. <laughs> you didn't recognize him until then? That's I, I didn't either. Like, <laughs> Joe and I are real fans, and we recognize that beautiful man by his lipstick stained face any day. I wanted to cheer um, that Thanksgiving day when I saw his face. <laughs> the, the scene that's sort of the thesis of the whole movie, I think, that a lot of people are missing, is this scene that apparently Spielberg came up with the day of. When the parents' divorce is being announced, and Sammy's just sitting there, and then he looks in the mirror, and he sees himself filming it. This is basically Steven Spielberg doing, I'm so sad, I'm so fucked up, from Uncut Gems. That's basically him <laughs> doing, why am I like this? This is the most therapeutic of any of the movies he's made. Why is he like this? Why is his instinct to turn to film whenever things get hard? Mm -hmm. It's very self-critical and self-reflective in a way that none of his movies have ever been. Sure, he's done his parents' divorce before, but judging from the fact that apparently a, a fan had to point this out to him, I don't think he was aware he was doing movies about his parents' divorce before this. As someone who wants to make films, I think it's very moving, and like Joe was saying, it kind of reminds you how you uh, can't give up Gotta pursue your dreams even when it's hard. If you love something, it's not just enough to love it. You also have to take care of it. And I think this is a movie about how he took care of his love for filmmaking. But if you want to tune into some brief general discussion, tune in after a very short commercial break. Well, I can't believe Sir Steven Spielberg, the grooviest filmmaker in the history of cinema, is making a movie about my life. Welcome back from the ad break to another ad break. MoviePalette.com. Colors movies on a canvas board. Do you want some? Enter the code SQUAD15 to get 15% more off your order. Now back to the show. All right, Micro Machines Man. The Micro Machine Man here, aircraft carrier there. You can't have that, but you can't have this. The new Micro Machine aircraft carrier playset. 
Apparently, it took three weeks to convince David Lynch to do this film. They had to get his main muse, Laura Dern, to help reel him in. Lynch finally <laughs> agreed to be on the film as long as Crafty was stocked with bags of Cheetos for him to eat. <laughs> All right. Hell so, yeah. the, the Oscar nominations are out, out as of this recording. And the only um, acting nomination aside from Michelle Williams was Judd Hirsch and supporting actor. Here's my take. Wrong supporting actor Wrong nomination. supporting actor, absolutely. It, not, that's not to say he's not incredible. It's one scene, but though. Paul Dano is Paul right Dano. there. Paul Dano. All Man, day. Mark had a, a lady who won an Oscar for one scene. It's not unheard of. I, I know. Unfair, I just don't. But I don't when there's a much it. superior supporting performance in the same movie. That's fair. I, um, I like that he's not like a cold person or a mean guy. He's just like disconnected and stuff like that. scene where he finally snaps and it's like, Sammy, I think you have something to say to me and you should get it off your chest. I've never heard Dano yell like that before. I mean, yeah, I've heard him yell, but that was different. Fun little fact, when Spielberg's mom fucked off to go marry Uncle Benny, they eventually moved to L.A. together to open up a kosher restaurant called The Milky Way. The restaurant closed following the mom's death in 2017, but that shit reopened again in 2019 under the leadership of Chef Phil Katzel. So if you want to go eat at this place, you ever find yourself near West Pico Boulevard, I hear their cheesecake cures disease. Also, mm -hmm. uh, maybe this is a hot take, but I would also nominate Seth Rogen before I nominate Judd Hirsch. That's just me. I think Seth Rogen's really good in this. You think whatever bad things you want about me, kiddo, but you stop making movies. It'll break your mother's heart. She doesn't deserve that, not from anybody, least of all from you. Yeah, so, can you acknowledge the Apple II team in your remarks? Did you guys hear Spielberg, like, cried a lot on set? Seth Rogen did an interview and was just like, this man was bawling. And this man was bawling! I'm probably gonna do the same fucking thing. Um, I'm sorry, not to harp on this more, but Paul Dano should have been nominated for the scene of him seeing the photo of his ex-wife and Benny alone. He's such a father, like, always putting his own emotion to the side. <clears throat> Since he is a father, or a dad, if you will, I think Paul Dano's character deserves this. Um, <clears throat> Dad's rock, baby! She ain't perfect, but I'm gonna do this. Mom's rock, baby. She's lovable. She reminds me of my mom. I'm gonna throw that one. Uh, There's mom's, mom's rock, baby. complicated, baby. Mom's complicated, <laughs> baby. Speaking of her, there's actually another side to the monkey story. I was watching that documentary. Apparently, Spielberg's mother went into a pet shop one day, and the monkey was laying still in the fetal position. The pet shop owner told her that the monkey's mother had died, and the monkey was so depressed Aww. it wouldn't move. Uh, when reminiscing yeah. on the monkey, Spielberg's dad briefly admits that he actually did, in fact, like the monkey. Did you think she was crazy? I like the monkey. But yeah, there's, there's more to the story. She didn't just buy a monkey for no reason. Monkeys rock, baby! Who's ready for Tanner Spielbergian? Trivia Corner! Yeah! So, apparently, uh, Spielberg and Kushner have been discussing doing this for years. Spielberg specifically has been wanting to do this since 1999, where the movie would have been called I'll Be Home, and would have been written by his sister, Anne Spielberg. Fun fact, Anne Spielberg is actually an accomplished screenwriter. She's an Academy Award-nominated screenwriter for writing Big. Oh. The second fun fact, she basically hasn't made a single movie since Big. She worked on Small Soldiers. She has uncredited script revisions for Small Soldiers, and then she has co-executive producer credit on some student short film from 2016. But other than that, she hasn't done shit since Big. 
I mean, go out on a high note. Apparently Spielberg's parents have been nagging at him to make this movie for years. <laughs> so it's a shame that he only made it after they fucking died and couldn't see it. I think he said something along the lines like, I couldn't make the movie if they were alive and stuff yeah. like that. And, and that's fair. That's why I he totally made the BFG. get it. His personal safety was at risk. Arnold Spielberg would come to his house, like, ready to beat him up. Okay, so what this movie taught me is that Arnold Spielberg was, like, one of the most important computer engineers of the 1950s and 1960s. Arnold Spielberg has a Wikipedia page. Steven Spielberg's mother doesn't. He helped make the first ever data processing machine in, like, the 50s over at RCA. He was an accomplished man. Yeah, which is what they talk about in the movie, how important that was. The Bismack. For the most part, every name in this movie is fictionalized, with two exceptions. One, John Ford was obviously a real person. <laughs> I thought his name was John Chevrolet. <laughs> Fuck you. John Toyota. Mr. Ford, you made a picture called Three Bad Men, which was a large-scale Western. How did you shoot that? With a camera. Can I ask you what, what particular element about the Western appealed to you from the beginning? I wouldn't know. Would you agree that the point of... Uh, Fort Apache was that uh, tradition, the tradition of the army was more important than one individual. Cut. So John Ford and who's the other one? John Ford and Uncle Boris. Spielberg had an Uncle Boris. However, the Uncle Boris he has, I'm pretty sure isn't the uncle that's depicted in the movie. Yeah, if you go check the IMDb on the 1927 Uncle Tom's Cabin, there is no sign of Boris. No person named Boris is credited on that movie or even uncredited on that movie. Um, Michelle Williams wore some of uh, Leah Adler's real jewelry. Here's another fun fact. Steven Spielberg didn't think of adjusting the shot of the horizon mid-shot until the day of, because a fucking course he did. You son of a bitch, Spielberg. We love you. During a DGA interview about the movie, Spielberg revealed that the, the character, the bully character, the thing where he runs out after the Ditch Day film is like, why the fuck did you make me look hot? Apparently that was based off of a real thing that happened. According to him, uh, the bully confronted Spielberg about his depiction in the Ditch Day film before crying and running off. Parentheses, a reaction that Spielberg and writer Tony Kushner tried to figure out, but were unable to do. Apparently several years later, that real bully actually called Spielberg after he made Duel and said, hey, congrats on making and doing congrats on following your dream man that great and spielberg trying to make conversation oh so what are you doing now man shit you not what is his bully doing now he was a fucking cop oh, oh, oh of course. what a twist paul dano's last day of filming as bert fableman was shot on uh from what i understand the one year anniversary of arnold spielberg's passing John Williams was nominated for Best Original Score for this movie. He is the oldest person ever nominated for an Academy Award in any category at the age of 91. And he's still gonna fucking keep going. John. That's the crazy thing. He said Dial of Destiny was going to be his last one, and now he's like, well, it's tough to say no to Spiel uh, Spielberg. John mm -hmm. Hayao Miyazaki Williams. Gabriella Bell was unaware of the casting of Lynch until the day of filming, and apparently <laughs> made him very nervous. Another fun fact about LaBelle in this movie, when he auditioned for the movie, the only description he was given was Teenage Sammy. And so when he started reading the script, he thought his character would play the teenage version until the adult Sammy later came on. And then he kept reading the script, waiting for his exit until he hit the end. Thought he was in Moonlight or something, but he wasn't. In real life, Spielberg blamed his father for the divorce. Apparently because his father 
still adored Spielberg's mother and tried to hide any negative thing that Spielberg's mother did, which caused him to distance himself from his father for 15 years. Uh, I do want to say that they later became friends. Spielberg's parents became friends again before they died. Spielberg actually did nearly abandon filmmaking for a period of time in real life, but it had nothing to do with his parents. What actually happened is at the age of 16, he had a crisis of confidence about ever being good enough to film a movie because he saw David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia and basically went, what the fuck am I even trying for? <laughs> As someone who's seen Lawrence of Arabia, I get it. As someone who's seen a Steven Spielberg movie, I get it. I've been there. I am currently kind of still there. It's always like, wow, what's the fucking point? I can't make something as good as this. But we can try. Oh, yes, baby, we can try because movies are dreams. <laughs> Let's uh, wrap it up with some final thoughts. Joe, go. Now, remember this. When Babylon does it, it makes me want to find every movie camera on planet Earth and destroy them so movies can never be made. When The Fablemans does it, it makes me want to make movies again. Now get the fuck out of my office! Oh, speaking of Austin, go. Man, I can't wait for the Blu-ray of this to come out the Tuesday after this episode is released so everyone except us can unlock the other 70% of the trivia about this movie. Consider this an appetizer, Fableman's fans. Maybe he'll do a commentary track this time. Fuck, Everything fuck, happens fuck. for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Fablemation, rise up. Tim, go. When the movie's good, it's interesting. When the movie's bad, it's interesting. When the movie's in the middle, it's boring as shit. Movie good. All right, Andrew. On that. Uh, yeah, I just think he's like a master dreamer, engineer, and editor. Just a brilliant artist. I like that movie as a. It's just like a complete dream with technical just acumen like bursting at the seams and it's just it's it's brilliant it's fantastic 10 out of 10 uh it's my second favorite movie of the year it's my favorite steven spielberg movie it's a beautiful love letter about growing up loving movies not necessarily a love letter to cinema but a love letter to the love of cinema but you know who else wrote a love letter to me Ooh. Your mommy? <laughs> uh, damn straight. <laughs> Andrew Ambrose Lee, plug something again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I fucking hate you guys. <laughs> no, uh, you can follow me at Andrew Ambrose Lee on Instagram, and you can follow the show at IBMTLDT on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, check out our show. It's so much fun. It's really good. Some episodes you can check out are the David Bowie Rise and Fall Ziggy Stardust episode with Anna Garcia, the Mama Mia episodes with Mia Vicino, the Bruce Springsteen episode with Kevin T. Porter and uh, the Kendrick Lamar episode with uh, Stanley Philippe and Christina Carti. Yeah, check it out. It's great. Uh, yeah, check it out. Check out the life and times of Chris Gaines and also check out oh, yeah, the, that one. <laughs> the fucking Outcast album one I was on with uh, Ashley. Ashley Hairston. Yeah, she's... Uh, whatever Outcast album that was. If you're listening to this episode on the audio platforms, Ron, thank you oh so very much for listening. We really appreciate it. Go on down and leave a review. It helps boost us in the algorithm or something or remain do nothing. I don't really know. And if you are watching this on Spotify video, thank you also very much for watching on Spotify video. We hope you enjoyed this uncensored edition of Bomb Squad Movie Night. <laughs> and hey, if you're watching this on Spotify video, how about you 
you go mosey on down over to our Patreon and throw some bucks our way. We are working on some Patreon rewards that are going to be launching very soon. And if you are watching this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night on YouTube, thank you oh so very much for watching. Go on down to the comment section below and let me know what do you think of the Fablemans? What's your favorite Steven Spielberg movie? What's your favorite scene in the Fablemans? And um, finally, uh, Minority Report? Question mark? Comment below and let me know. <laughs> Here. And while you're down there, hit the like button so we know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so we know how much you love us. And hit the bell icon so you can know exactly when we upload new videos. Thank you also very much for watching. Tune in next week when we talk about maybe the best animated movie of last year, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. That should be a fun one, guys. Thank you again also very much for watching this episode of Bomb Squad Movie Night. We'll see you next time. Bye! Very Bye, well. Buy Micro Machines. The, the Horizon! He's oh! doing the thing! And get the fuck out of my office.